This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. For over 25 years, Virginia Hausiger AM has built a career as a journalist, writer and commentator. She anchored the ABC's flagship TV news in Canberra for 15 years before founding the 5050 by 2030 Foundation, which focuses on improving the representation of women in leadership across Australia. Virginia was named ACT's Australian of the Year this year, and we're so honoured to have a chat with her today. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Terrific. Virginia, can we talk a bit about your 5050 by 2030 uh, foundation, the idea behind it and, and, and how you aim to achieve the goal? <laughs> it's a very good question too. Um, the 5050 by 2030 foundation is something that uh, we set up at the University of Canberra. So we're housed at ICTA, which is the Institute for Governance and Policy Analysis. I, my background is as a journalist, a television journalist, and I began my career as a TV journalist way back in the 80s, mid-80s. And yes, I was two years old at the time. But <laughs> I, I, um, I, I worked in television media for, look, nearly 30 years. But along the way, I've always, always worked as a, a women's advocate and I have um, had a passion for gender equality. And consequently, I started working with the Institute for Governance and Policy Analysis at the University of Canberra as an adjunct professor about eight years ago because they started doing some what I thought was really interesting research looking at at the issue of women and leadership in the Australian public sector. And way back in 2010, 2011, they started saying, why is it there are so few women in senior roles in the Australian public uh, public service? At the time, there were 18 or 19 uh, federal government departments. And at that time, back in 2010, uh, all but about two or three of them were headed up by men. So they were saying, why is this so? So I got on board with them when they were doing that research and we had a number of um, leadership roundtables with men and women, senior public figures, to talk about what are the barriers and obstacles to women um, gaining uh, uh, senior roles in, the, 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 in public leadership. And... We did that work for some time. We produced a terrific report, the Not Yet 50-50 report. And by about 2016, I decided it was time for me to get involved full-time. So I left my role as news presenter at the ABC in Canberra and set up this foundation. And we've got a single vision, a very singular vision, which is by the year 2030, we want to see men and women sharing leadership and key decision-making roles across uh, public positions in Australia and our region. So we want to extend this out to our region, specifically our Pacific region. Uh, So it's a very simple goal. How do we achieve it? Well, a whole bunch of things that we need to do. But one of the things we're working on right at the moment is um, the issue of attitudes, Australians' attitudes to gender equality. And we just did some terrific research, a survey last year across the nation looking at what men and women really think about gender equality. So to get people to understand, first and foremost, why we need women in, uh, in, in sharing public leadership, we need to... Well, I, I, I realised I needed to understand better 
what it is that men and women, boys and girls, actually think about gender equality. I mean, it's a waste of everyone's time if I'm out there banging on about the need for 50-50 leadership if, in fact, most people don't think that 50-50 is a good thing or, or actually don't think women should be in leadership or don't even think that um, women have, have, have leadership traits um, available to them. So we needed to go and you know, have a look at what do Australians really think. So that's one of the biggest pieces of research we've done so far. And we released a report late last year called From Girls to Men, um, Social Attitudes to Gender Equality in Australia. And right at the moment, we're just working on how we can take that to the next step, which is to do some focus groups across Australia. So I just guess uh, the next you've mentioned that throughout your career in media, that there was a lack of um, female representation in the leadership space. Did you ever experience uh, personally the consequences of gender inequality throughout your career? <laughs> Sorry, Georgia. I'm laughing at that question because I think I experience the the impact and effect of gender equality every single day. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so, so does Sam, so does mm. Duncan, every one of us do. Every day that we wake up and we face the world and we look at our news feed, you will find, if you think about it and if you start looking, you will find that the majority of voices you see, the majority of experts you hear from, the majority of leaders you see represented in news media are men. Again, you know, our data and this global data, not just Australian, but global data shows that when we look at news media, for example, only 24% of those who are quoted as spokespeople, leaders, experts, authorities are women. Only 24%. So the rest are men. And what that means is that from the moment we engage with the world, we are reminded that there is an absence of women in leadership in, in, in roles that are important, in, in key decision-making roles, in you know, political leadership roles, in every leadership role. So every single day we're reminded that we're so used to it, we don't even notice it. What I say to everyone listening is start looking. Start looking at the news around you, news media in particular. And that's important because that is where we get our information about the world around us, from our news feeds, wherever you're getting your news from. But, you know, going back to my own, my own experience, I began as a journalist. I was 21, 22. I walked into a newsroom where, you know, clearly the majority of, of employees were men, I think probably about 80%. Uh, all the producers were male. All the crews were male. All the executive producers were male. All the chiefs of staff were male. And when I looked around Australia, you know, I was young and, and hungry and ambitious and excited about this new job. And I looked around Australia, there are only five women on television in senior journalist roles, you know, presenting programs or doing interviews. Five. Mm. I, you know, I could count them. Um, that has changed over the years since I've been working. That has certainly changed. Not nearly enough. What hasn't changed nearly enough um, is the, 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 the rate of women working in media at most senior levels and certainly owning media outlets. Um, that's pathetic in Australia. That's, that, there's a real gender issue there. But, yeah, look, going back to my own job and my own career, um, look, myriad different ways uh, have I experienced and seen and been subjected to gender inequality because our, our, our society, our culture 
certainly our news media, is very, very gender skewed. It's skewed towards men being in in the big roles, the leadership roles, the, the dominant roles, the authority roles. You know, and, and as I say, I'm still reminded of it every single day. Hmm. Virginia, um, you're a leading commentator and doing an incredible work in what you're doing, especially around social and gender issues. But being an advocate comes with a cost, and it often does. Um, how have you dealt with backlash, and, and what advice would you offer for other people who are advocating for something that they believe in? Yeah, it's a very good question. Look, I, yeah, I, I've copped some some very serious public backlash over my career. Um, fortunately, uh, the worst of it, when I, I um, wrote a column that was very personal, when I was in my 30s, um, a column about my own childlessness and infertility, and I lashed out at feminism. And that column was really misinterpreted badly um, because I'm a feminist through and through and always have been since since birth, I think. I think it's just in my, in my blood, in my cells. Um, but it was mis- misconstrued as an attack on feminism. What it was was an attack on some messages around feminism, which is another thing. But I copped a huge amount of backlash. I was thrashed by um, news media at the time. Um, I, my, my name was dragged through the mud. Now, fortunately, this was going back to 2004, five. Social media wasn't a real thing then. In fact, Facebook didn't exist, believe it or not. Uh, Twitter didn't exist. So the the, the backlash came in different ways. It was on um, radio programs. <laughs> it was on television. It was on t- TV um, discussion panels and in print media. But uh, it was really horrible. I, um, I And it confused me. I, I thought people would be... I don't know. I wrote, I wrote this column very personally because I needed to and I needed people to talk about the issue. I needed to understand the issue of childlessness better. Mm-hmm. But instead, it, it, it was sort of flipped on its head and it all became an attack on Virginia Hausiger. Um In fact, there were headlines that said things like, um, shut up, you brat. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and another one that actually said, meet Virginia, the woman we love to loathe. You know, that was, that was a headline in the Age newspaper in Melbourne. Um, you know, it was pretty tough. How did I handle it? Well, for a while, I just went and hid under a rock. I was mortified. I was shocked. I was hurt. I was very confused. Um, but, you know, I look, I pushed on and I grew through it. And what I did was I tackled it head on by saying, okay, um, I need to explain this better. If I feel it's been misconstrued, I need, um, you know, a better way of telling the story. So I actually set about providing the evidence uh, about childlessness and infertility by, I went and wrote a book about it and I did a you know a stack of interviews around Australia and spoke to all the, the demography experts and got the data. And so I backed up what I was saying with, with data and evidence. And so that, that's one way of, of dealing with it. But another way was also, and this is going to sound a bit strange because I know people get really knocked around by social media responses that everyone does but I don't know there's something about it that I just I don't I just felt that whilst I was shocked by the response and intellectually bruised by it personally I actually didn't take it on and I still don't um 
I, because I've worked in media for long enough, after three decades, to know that often the responses you get from an audience um, are from the very little snippets of information they have about you without knowing you fully. And I've always felt that even now when I get some really nasty tweets or social media responses, and I just, you know, shrug my shoulders and often laugh because I just think, well, you know, that person, if they knew me, that wouldn't say that or if they understood uh, my arguments, they actually read the piece I've written rather than just the headline, um, they might think differently. And on the odd occasion when I've pointed that out and people actually do, um, you know, it sort of proves my point. I don't, I don't take it personally and I, my advice to others would be, look, if you're going to put yourself out there uh, in a professional sense, um, fine, and understand that it, you know, it's the professional realm, and it's not about you personally, um, and you shouldn't take it personally. I mean, look, that that sounds a little bit twee, but I don't know. There's just something about me that I, I've I've just learnt not to take the the, the backlash personally. Um, I always just you know throw it back to the professional realm and, and look at how I can deal with it that way. I, I hear of so many young women, and I, and I guess you know. This affects young men too. It really worries me how they are so bruised by their engagement with social media hmm. um, and become so dependent on positive responses and so acutely sensitive to negative responses. You know, I... I sort of find myself shaking my head and wondering what's happened here. In the age of social media and I guess this constant flow of news and information and opinions, what advice would you give to young people, young women in particular, in, I guess, dealing with that kind of backlash if they are putting themselves out there either professionally or personally? Well, Georgia, I'm not sure I can be all that helpful here because, again, I just find myself saying, well, why would you take this stuff personally when these people that might be speaking negatively about you or um, rubbishing what you say, they don't know you personally? You know, it's, it, this is not a personal realm we're talking about. Social media, you know, I, I think, you know, it's really important. And this is where we, we need to have a bit of confidence in ourselves and back ourselves, but also understand that social media, it's a platform, but it ain't, it ain't personal interaction. Now, personal mm. interactions when you sit down and eyeball someone, you know? I mean, when we communicate, we communicate with, it with a whole bunch of different um, uh, mechanisms. It's, it's our voice, it's our expression, it's our face, our skin, our body, our, you know, our heart, our hormones, it's everything. Social media only allows us to do that in, in one very superficial way. And, you know, it's useful at times, it's useful to connect, but it's a very limited connection. So to take it on board and, and respond to it as if people are actually somehow um, responding to all of you is, is a misunderstanding. It's actually quite, dare I say, it's quite naive. Mm. Um you know, and, and maybe I'm being a bit old-fashioned here, but I, I think, you know, we need to step back a little bit. We all need to step back a little bit and just be a little bit more mindful of what social media is and what that engagement, that, that um, digital engagement is and how it's limited when it comes to our real, our real selves. It's not our full selves. It can't be. You know, it's, it's a platform. It's, it's it, nothing is the, it, nothing meets 
real human engagement, which is person to person. You know, we, we can we can try and um, obtain that through you no know, voice and visual connection on digital platform, but it, it's not the full thing. So, you know, why we take it so personally doesn't fit the platform. If you understand what I mean? Yeah, Virginia, how how do you think men can best act as allies? Um, and stand with women when they see, when we see gender inequality occurring. Well, that's a really good question, and a number of things I could say about that. But you know, gender inequality is not about women; it's about men and women. Mm. Inequality between all of us. So it's not my problem. It's not George's problem. It's all of our problem. And I, you know, one of the things I think men need to to do a lot more is to understand that they are not the outsiders here. They're not the bystanders. They're not the, you know, the loving, caring husbands, spouses, boyfriends um, who want to be supportive. They are actually part of it, you know. We're talking about all of us here. So it's not a matter of men being supportive. It's a a matter of men taking on board, first and foremost, that they're part of the problem, part of the issue, Mm. and therefore part of the solution. You know, it's really, really important to stop talking about just women. So, you know, if you care about inequality, the men, you have to start seeing it, you know, calling it out yourself. I mentioned before about the absurd inequality in our um, news media. Men need to start calling that out. You know, men need to start looking at those um, uh, leadership groups or panels or or, or um, when I say leadership groups, it might be the place you work, look at who's in charge, look who calls the shots and start saying, why is it majority men? Or why, you know, or the ownership of your business, why is it majority men? And start asking those questions and actually see, first and foremost, seeing the truth of the inequality that we all experience every day. So that's one thing. The other is we all need to have much better discussions at home with our partners because you know what we don't. Our our research at the 5050 by 2030 Foundation shows that people say one thing about gender equality and what they actually do is quite different. Mm. And we know that when we look at what people do at home, in terms of the distribution of chores, in terms of decisions made around whose career gets prominence, who stays at home and does the caring, who 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 is the the, the star income earner in this in this um, partnership, and also you know who do we assume is going to manage family life, manage domestic life. You know, we need to ask ourselves these questions and and with every answer, ask why. Hmm. Why? You know? And it's not just a matter of saying, look, oh, look, you know, you know, my husband, for example, I'm married. My husband does all the cooking and people say to me, oh, aren't you lucky? Well, no, I'm not. (laughs) I mean, if if I was to do the cooking, we wouldn't eat or we'd have toast every night. You know, I can't cook. Um, but it, that's not a matter of luck or it's not a matter of, you know, you know, gender distribution. It's just that that's the way it's fallen because he's a lot better at it, whereas I do all the money in the finance because I'm so much better at that than him. Mm. If, if I left it to him, you know, we'd be out in the street because, you know, we would have been kicked out by our, <laughs> our mortgage lender, mm. um, you know, because bills would never be paid. You know, but I, I think we need to have honest discussions at home about who does what and why. Mm. And, you know, 
if you if if you happen to be male and you have a female partner who's had children who've had children together and that female is doing the primary caring ask why you know it might be that that's what suits you both and that's what you want to do but what are the costs of that well one of the costs as we've just identified is that that might mean that the female partner in that relationship is going to suffer um uh, a drop down her career ladder because she's, her career trajectory is interrupted. Um, and in fact, you know, might do a roller coaster dive. Her confidence might, might do a roller coaster dive because she's out of the workforce. So, how are you both going to deal with that? How are you both going to manage that? Is the male partner going to take a year off, become the primary carer so she can go back and do some extra study? Maybe that's an option. You know, we, we all need to have these conversations at home and particularly around unpaid work and unpaid care. Thanks, Virginia, for that. Uh, lastly, we just want to touch on you've been going through a tough personal health battle over the last couple oh. of years. More than ever now, you need to, I guess, prioritise self-care. Um, mm-hmm. How are you able to juggle that, but also a sense of, I guess, duty to help others, which a lot of women feel, um, to continue, I guess, this role in the battle of gender inequality, but also look after yourself in the process as well? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question, Georgia. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> I am I am such a hypocrite when it comes to self-care. Um, I'm always telling other women how they need to look after themselves and prioritise themselves, and I'm terrible at it. Look, I have, um, last year I was diagnosed with cancer, bowel cancer, and I uh, was diagnosed on the on the 13th of June and on the 14th of June I ran a big uh, women in leadership conference so when I got my diagnosis I remember thinking oh my goodness I'm too busy for this I've got my conference tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) so I didn't tell anyone you know I went into work we had 200 people at this day-long conference had all these amazing wonderful speakers I didn't tell anyone um you know, that, and when I look back on that now, I think, what, what was going on in my head? Well, I know what was going on in my head. I, I, I had worked so hard to make this conference happen. I, I just didn't want to interrupt it. But look, one of the things I have learned, uh, cancer sucks. Um, you know, it's, it's a horrible journey and it's also an amazing journey. And for me, um, it has been... Uh, life-changing in that look and I'm not over it yet I'm not through it but um, you know I'm still grappling with our cancer but for me it has in in a very extraordinary and beautiful way um, changed my life because it has made me stop and realize how precious um, our lives are and how precious our time is and what a gift um, health is and to not be good at self-care and not look after myself is an abuse of that blessing and an abuse of that gift I've been given and I, I do I don't know look I think we all struggle at times with you know wondering why we're here and what we're doing and what's what's the purpose of us and I think perhaps for some women and men who don't have children, this can become a really big issue because, you, you, you know, you find yourself contemplating mortality and feeling, you know, as I certainly have over the last six months, but feeling like, well, okay, so should I drop off my peg right now 
what have I left behind? You know, I don't have any children. I don't, therefore, I don't have any legacy as such. What have I done that has somehow added positively to this extraordinary world in which we've been so lucky to be born? And that is something that I think fires me up, particularly when I was really, really sick. Whilst I was undergoing chemo, um, I had a, a, a very rare reaction to some of the chemo that I was given that nearly killed me at one stage and I, I was touching go mm. for a moment there and I actually remember again thinking I can't, you know, I can't disappear just now, I can't die just now because I haven't done anything. Um, so in a funny way, you know, facing your own mortality can be quite motivating. Um, but look, there is no doubt self-care and particularly women and self-care is something that we all need to to work, you know, work harder at, be be be, be more mindful of. Um, one thing I have done is stop beating up on myself as much, and in fact, a lot, a lot, um, and and let things go. Look, you know, it's it's impossible with the world we live in now, with the speed of information, our twenty four seven news cycle. When you're someone like me that's that's switched on a lot, um, if we don't switch off. And if we don't put it away and give ourselves permission to have times of peace, times of relaxation and times of fun, you know, we will end up having a fairly miserable death um, and probably dying of stress too. So I've given myself permission in a way I never have before to to stop. And I do switch off. And, you know, I, I look at my email every morning um, after I've done my meditation and bit of yoga and sometimes there can be 50 messages and I know I'm not going to get through them all every day and I know things are going to fall off mm. and I know some things will never get answered. But you know what? It, it's okay. It's, it's okay. And I, I say that to if anyone's been trying to contact me and not, not been able to get through, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, look, you know, no one's going to die, whereas actually I nearly did. Um, and, and, and stress and trying to do too much, I think, had a, a role to play in that. So, you know, I, we have to give ourselves, cut ourselves some slack and give ourselves permission to pull back. We all do, um, men and women. Virginia Hausiger AM, you are an absolute inspiration. We've loved talking with you on Hope Breakfast this morning and uh, congratulations on being the ACT's Australian of the Year this year and for spending so much time just talking through... Uh, all the work that you're doing, uh, we think that you're an incredible human being. So thanks for joining us on Hope Breakfast, Virginia. Oh, thank you. That's the nicest thing I've heard for, uh, forever. That's such a lovely rap. Thank you, guys. It's been really lovely talking to you and good, good luck with the work you do. It's really important radio. It's really important listening. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.